the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We've got a lot to cover. A great show today. We'll talk in a few moments with, of course, Dr. Brett M. Decker. We haven't talked to him this week. He, of course, is a great writer, and we will see what he says about the speech last night, Biden's speech, and whether he, um, you know, if it was uh, up to sp- up to standard. And Dr. Brett M. Decker is a New York Times bestselling author, and uh, and as I said, he I'd say he describes himself most as a writer, although now he's a professor at Defiance College in Ohio. We'll talk to him. And then, very interesting, I'm looking forward to talking with Alan Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz, who I don't know. I have I have had him on the show one other time, I believe. I have his email address, if you can believe it. I've corresponded with him. And when I spent a few days, um, excuse me, when I spent a few hours, it was uh, one day, Monday, uh, from 8 in the morning until about 6 at night, uh, with Mike Lindell a few weeks ago. Uh, it was right when they were suing, Mike Lindell and, uh, excuse me, My Pillow. the company was suing uh, Dominion. There's a new lawsuit. It wasn't a countersuit. It wasn't a reply to the lawsuit of Dominion against Mike Lindell. It was a fresh lawsuit, and uh, one of the lawyers was Alan Dershowitz. So I, I'm looking forward to talking to him. He's got a new book out, which we'll talk about. His book is The Case Against the New Censorship. The Case Against the New Censorship. Uh, and uh, we'll talk with Mike Lindell in a few moments. Before we do, let's talk about what you need to know from the last 24 hours. The last 24 hours, here's what you need to know. Joe Biden's speech, and there's lots to talk about in there, lots of stuff that uh, makes you crazy. I, I I plan to ask Dr. Decker, one of Dr. Decker's degrees, many degrees, is in like, economics. You know, uh, Biden had lots to say that would make the economy crash, or at least it would penalize uh, the people who uh, spur the economy. And the rich people, would, if they raise taxes, like he said, they'd mostly move away or, or pay for uh, tax, um, uh, tax um, um, what do you call it, uh, you know, um, shelters and harbors from taxes, and they do all kinds of things. So, so that's happened when they raised taxes in the past. That's when things like the Cayman Islands got popular and offshore stuff. And so you'll see about that. But anyway, it's a crazy thing to do. Uh, but let me um, let me say Joe Biden did other things that were bad. But here's what I want to talk to you about. I'm infuriated. And if you watch my live stream, which happens at about 945 each morning, East Coast time. So very early, uh, 645 in the morning over in, uh, in uh, the West Coast in San Diego, where the show airs. If you listen, if you watch that live stream t- t- early, the one that was the same topic, I was hot. I'm a little bit more mellow now. I'm going to be more, I hope, systematic and more serious about it. But it is so insane to me that the, a man named Joe Biden could stand in the president's spot in in that hallowed hall, the greatest democratic republic the history's ever known, and that this man could demean and diminish America by being such a blatant liar. And he lied in a direction that is so unhelpful. Look, some lies about things are sort of directionally untrue, but you know why they're doing it. 
But some lies are just, and and some lies are personal. Some lies are attacks. Remember when uh, when Harry Reid lied about Mitt Romney's tax returns and later said, "Yeah, I was lying. I just wanted to get the press cycle," and they worked, didn't it? He didn't win his race. I mean, that kind of thing. Those are these are despicable. These are despicable people. But that's uh, in politics. That's not a distinguishing characteristic, in my my opinion. I mean, that's kind of it happens on the both sides of the aisle. But Joe Biden took it to a different level here when he described. That the, the recent attack was the worst attack on our uh, on democracy since the Civil War. And he's referring to the January 6th. He knows he's lying. You could we could get into the fight of well, 9-11, uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. There's lots of people on social media arguing about that. I just want to say, if you have any sense of seriousness about what is now known about January 6th, it was the big lie. The big lie in America, the big lie in our lives was January 6th. What the media did, they said it was a a murderous armed insurrection. All of it was a lie. All of it. Most of the people walked through the Capitol. Some people were trespassing and violently, you know, breaking windows or something. But there was no cop killed. None. The only woman killed was shot by a cop. We know very little about that. But I'm not even standing in defense of her. I'm saying, it, you know, she was trying to climb through a window and there was some reason that the cop was worried. I don't know, but we don't know anything about it. We know everything about Chauvin. We know everything about other people that die and get killed and, and the shooters. In this case, we don't know, but still. But what is clearly known now is that January 6th was nothing like what was described. And I've told you before, I was there on January 6th in the ellipse at the speech President Trump gave. The speech was like a valedictory. I mean it in a bad way. It was just a kind of, oh, it's all over. It was kind of a con- almost a concession speech. It didn't. It was cold. It was too long. It wasn't a very good speech. Parts of it were kind of Trumpian, but most of it was just blah. No one left there for a battle. It was all nonsense. And Joe Biden stands up there in what is effectively a state of the union and just blatantly lies. It was extraordinary. It was terrible. Terrible. It was terrible what he did. It was so destructive. And here's the thing. He's trying to take the fake news, the narrative machine, what the narrative machine did, big tech, big media, and big government. He's trying to take that all of those. The narrative is, the narrative machine has created that this, this incredible big lie. And Joe Biden tried to convert it, and he was doing it. It's working into fake history. And when he, when he, when they, I told you earlier in the day, uh, I mentioned, mentioned this yesterday, it, it, at points in these kinds of things, they put out for the, the politics, the, the um, um, press to review uh, excerpts of the speech as prepared for, pre, for, uh, for pre, pre, pre presentation. And when you look, one of the things came out and it said this line, and Michael Beschloss, the presidential historian, who everybody, oh, Michael Beschloss wrote all these books, said, yeah, this is really true. What a fraud. What a fraud. These people are so fraudulent. And they're such liars. And I don't say that. I don't usually say, you know, I I don't know Joe Biden. I don't know if I've ever met him. But this one was a big one. This was such a big lie that tries to destroy the country. It tries to put a target on people. It, it doesn't try. It's putting a target on people. And, you know, later on the program, I think I'll finish with the program. I'll talk about Mike Lindell. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask Alan Dershowitz about his law, the lawsuit that he represents Mike Lindell. And, but also Mike Lindell was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. You talk about a guy that's well-adjusted, knows who he is, understands. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. It was great. I'm going all the way. It was great. Jimmy Kimmel's a jerk. 
It's kind of his role, though, right? He's playing a role. I don't know if he's a jerk in real life. I know he's a father and his defense of his son's health and all was how he talked about. It. I, I, I admire that part of it. So I don't know if he's really a jerk, but I know he acted like he acts like a jerk, especially with somebody like Lindell. And we'll talk about that later on the program. But but I, I, I so Mike Lindell comes out a winner and he looks like a normal person. Doesn't look like a perfect person, but he says that. But Joe Biden stands up there and tries to look like this paragon of virtue, that he is the, the truth teller for America. That he is the one who can tell us how everything looks and what it means and how it fits together. And it is just despicable. It's just despicable. It's, it's, it, it makes me so upset for the future of our country. If you have a president who is, well, he could have said a lot of things, by the way. He could have said the, 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 the people that, um, that are, that questioned the election and when they gathered and they pushed through the doors, they scared a lot of people. It's not who we are. It's not what we do. All of that would have been sort of not my favorite way to do it, but it would have been directionally uh, true enough, right? But to say and to equate in such clear ways in, in writing, you know, the greatest attack, the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War is what he said. And they'll start teaching that in our schools. That's what they'll teach. Because they all went into overdrive. And they all, as I told you, I told you they would. They went into overdrive to say he was right. Really despicable. Terrible stuff. And meanwhile, today, or hours after, hours after the, um, the, the speech where he said that, the, the prosecutors released a bunch of the people... Uh, that were supposedly such a terrible, terrible thing. I mean, I don't know. I, it, it's just, it's, it's a disaster. It's a disaster for the country to have a president who does that. It's a really terrible. It's really terrible for the country. And, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I won't forgive him for that one. I guess I could come to convince myself that he's just, um, he's just a puppet and he's, he's got these things written for him and this is what he's doing. I, I can convince myself because it feels like that. This feels like something that people that hate America would do. And I don't think Joe Biden hates America. I, I don't, I mean, I should say that. I, mean, I should say he does because of what he did, but I think he mostly is just someone who's such a creature of the swamp. He's a, he's a creature of the swamp system. It's like the ecosystem, the swamp system. And he and his family, they're apart 50 years. He's only 78 years old. That's about right. 50 years he's been in office. And that's the, he says it's a total swamp guy. I mean, totally swamped up. It's extraordinary to see. It's terrible for the country. All right. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Brett M. Decker. We'll get an update from him. And then a few minutes later, we will talk with uh, our, our, our Alan Dershowitz, one of America's uh, premier lawyers. We'll see what Alan Dershowitz has to say and uh, get an update on Mike Lindell's case. We'll take a break, everybody. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to catch all these interviews and get signed up for the daily email. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Time to visit with our old friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker. Dr. Decker is a professor at Defiance College and a New York Times bestselling author. He has uh, served as a journalist in the Far East. He's an editorial page, was an editorial page editor in the Swamp and uh, is a writer of many books and columns. And also, I think we can say... Um, I think you did a stint at the White House Writers Group, wasn't that right? So I don't know. You you, you don't call your you're not uh, you're a writer. I don't know if you were a, you're never a speech writer in the White House, but you've written a lot of speeches. And so let's uh, let's hear it. How did you think the Biden speech was? You know, I you know when you, when you have this one is uh, and this is kind of unfairness to sort of every president when they give a speech like this. 
is, is usually state sort of a state of the union or a presidential address of this kind is usually terrible as far as speeches go because you have this laundry list of goals and you know goals and, and, and things that people want to achieve and they're usually pie in the sky they're usually not achievable and there's there's really no way to have a laundry list well written and and, and deliver it well um and you know and and I, I find the sort of formulaic way they do these just nauseating so okay you know some story and then oh we have with us you know in the gallery and you know, oh, you know, Cindy, whose mom died and she lost her job and then her dog ran away and her car broke down I, like like that. Trying like it's so gratuitously trying to reach out to people that I think the phoniness of it, of that kind of thing usually makes it um, hard to actually reach the people that you're trying to reach. Um, that said, I thought the speech was particularly bad um, in that. It, it, it's really scary where this country is going or they're, where they're trying to take this country, right? Trillions of dollars of spending, uh, you know, unimaginable new taxes to pay for this. I mean, right, it, it, it comes with the usual lie. Oh, we're only going to tax the rich. Well, the rich don't pay taxes because they can hire accountants to figure out how they can avoid them. The poor don't pay right. very many taxes. So it always right. gets crunched on the middle class, no matter what they say. And when you're talking about trillions of dollars on the middle class or on some corporations, well, I, a lot of students are actually asking me about this today, especially the capital gains tax increases, because a lot of these kids are working part time, going to school, and they know that their investment portfolio is the one thing they need. You know, they don't they, mm-hmm. they know they don't have pensions in their life. So, you know, you talk about the Biden proposal to go from 20% capital gains to 39.6. What I was telling the students today is, look, the one thing it's a true, a truism is if you tax something more, you're going to get a lot less of it. So what's going to happen to investments, right? You're going to have a good way to create a panic on Wall Street and the stock market is let's let's double the capital gains on people's investments. Well, what are people going to do? They're going to rush to pull their stuff out of the market, right? And... Yeah, and so and so, but but, yeah. I, but so let me, let me pause on this because you just remember we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, and, yeah, and I agree with you. The, the laundry list is uh, the formula; it gets formulaic. It's kind of uh, everybody does it. It gets very similar, and so and yet they do it. And the reason they do it is because they're really talking past the the politicians. They're talking. They're 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 they're, they're throwing out uh, poll tested things that please various constituencies, and they're going to run to them like to the progressive. They want to hear tax the rich. Here's the reality. Is there any chance that's passing any Congress? Well, you know, here's the thing is a a lot of people, a lot of people aren't going to be too worried about that because they know it ends up going on on the middle class. So the rich Democratic donors pretty much know they're protected, I think. You know, I think Mm -hmm. the question is, how much can they really get through at all? And I wish I had more confidence in the Republicans to jam up the system, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, it's too bad. I didn't do, I had plans to do this and then, um, I just kind of lost track of time. What I wanted to do was write a piece on, um, how the stress impact of Biden's first state of the union. And what I wanted to do is one of those monitors you hook up to check your blood pressure. 
I wanted to constantly test through the speech and see how, what, and what points my anxiety level was raised the most. And then I, I just forgot. Mm-hmm. You have to get one of those machines. I forgot all about it, but maybe we'll do that next year. But like, how, how, how does your system react to watching all this, all these terrible ideas? I think that'd be kind of fun to do, but I, I forgot about it. So. Um, well, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker. All right, so um, what about this one, though, Dr. Decker? Again, you, in your long arc of uh, reporting as a journalist, and I can't recall, as I say, as I uh, say this, where you were on nine eleven. But you can tell me in this question. When I went crazy in my open today on on my uh, opening segment, because when the president says that. Um, this is the worst, the, the recent worst attack on democracy since uh, the Civil War. I mean, not only is that insane, he's just lying and he's lying in a direction that's just terrible for the country. You know, there's just there's no truth to it. It's not even close. Um, uh, and yet he does it now. I guess there's been other lies. You know, most politicians lie. That's not a distinguishing characteristic. But this one really disgusts me because they're weaponizing that lie. That's the big lie. The big lie is that January 6th was some sort of insurrection, some sort of armed murderous insurrection. That's the big lie that they're doing. Used to be the Russia hoax. Now this is the big lie. And yet they're doing it in such a way... It's almost like he was testing it out. It was like instead of fake news, it was fake history. And 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 within moments of the le- of the um, of the the public um, release of that segment, Michael Beschloss, the presidential quote unquote historian, said, "Oh, this is exactly right. It's so true." And you just shake your head and say, wow. "My gosh, these people have lost their mind." I didn't know Beschloss said that. That's too bad. Um, I, I, they're just lying, right? It's sort of like. You know, they wanted to throw Bandy about like the Hitler thing on on Trump all the time. You know, one thing Hitler said is if you sell the people in a lie, make sure it's a big one. And that's actually what they're doing. Right. They're trying to make this country into being this awful racist place. And I tell you, lots of us who traveled and lived around the world know this is the best place actually by far and the most fair and the most equitable and you know, the place we have the most opportunity, nowhere even comes close, right? No European countries that are close, like similar to us, you don't have anywhere near it. And what I find particularly damaging until a few years ago, when they just decided to want to act like Trump was like the Grand Wizard of the KKK or whatever, you know, race relations had been the best that they had been in, in our lifetime easily, right? As far as any kind of metric of upward mobility or, right? I mean, even things like younger people, um, you know, younger people dating and getting married, different different ethnic backgrounds or whatever. It was a lot different than even when we're kids, right? A lot of the young people grew up without any, any um, taboos as far as, uh, you know, race and ethnicity. So it's kind of like they inserted themselves right when this country was close to getting beyond it in some way. Um, and, and blew the whole thing up, right? Any progress they, they just destroyed. And now we're definitely going backwards, partially because they have this big lie and they're, they're, they've convinced everybody that we're going backwards or that we never made progress to begin with. And I, and I think it's very, it's very damaging. And like everything with the left, it ends up hurting the people they're supposedly advocating for, right? Just like all their poverty programs actually make people poorer, well, all of their race programs, it mostly hurts black people, right? I mean, it, so it, it's just, it's, uh, it's terrible and I think it's scary. 
Uh, we're talking with again Dr. Brett M. Decker on that one. You just mentioned uh, that mentioned the cities and city schools. Um, have we? You again. You've watched this policy issue. You know, for our listeners that are just uh, just tuning in, Dr. Decker, among you know, a journalist, a New York Times bestselling author, professor, but also um, has been involved in the highest level of politics for thirty years, I'd say. Um, and has school maybe. choice as an twenty five? Okay, has school choice those first five <laughs> years you were in the Bush leagues, but as in the uh, small B Bush leagues, in the um, has school choice turned a corner? Is it possible that? Re- and I mean, as for as first First, as a Republican issue, is it possible the Republican Party can say yes to, to, to a school choice because of the school teachers unions and because of the pandemic? And then second is, can the country get there? Is there a chance we can see the breaking of the, the, the monopoly by uh, by uh, by government schools? Well, I, I just worry that there's almost no way to win because the stakes are so high. So even if right. we, you know, one thing my dad always told me is he was always leery of some of the school choice programs just because he said look if money follows wherever money follows control comes with so if if there's any way to uh that any funding is tied to different alternatives uh mm-hmm. big brother is going to have his you know figure out his way to get his hand in there um so you know in some ways it could actually damage things like christian and catholic and, and other private schools because if someone comes with public school funding to go to a private school, the government's going to have more say on things like um, a lot of this gender inclusive language and, 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 and race theory and all this nonsense, right? Um, mm, new math, yeah. two plus two is, is not four or whatever. Yeah, I, I guess that's always the worry. But I mean, at this point, you know, the the, uh, the desperation of parents, um, they've never been more they've never been more upset uh, than they have been. And, I, you know, and I think a lot of people think you can't you can't really change the equation for our inner cities if you don't do something uh, fairly dramatic. So. All right. I got to run. Unfortunately, Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author, professor and uh, journalist. We will talk again next week. Thanks, Dr. Decker. Yeah. Fight on Southern California. <laughs> there you go. We'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Very uh, pleased to speak with Alan Dershowitz uh, as one of the great lawyers and uh, and presences in the law. Uh, taught as I think the youngest law professor at Harvard Law School. He's got a new book out just about I don't know a week ago from Hot Books, and the book is entitled "The Case Against the New Censorship." The case against the new censorship by Alan Dershowitz, and uh, available everywhere you get books. So, welcome, uh, Alan. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Yeah, I was the youngest professor. I was hoping to become also the oldest professor, but then I retired a few years ago. Uh, Oh, well, that's a... When I think back to 1964 when I started teaching, in those days, the great danger to free speech came from the government. And for the next 50 years, I litigated cases against the government repeatedly and always won. The government was an easy target in First Amendment cases because the Constitution says Congress will make no law bridging the freedom of speech. Now I turn around and I can't bring cases because the enemies of free speech are private corporations. They have their own First Amendment rights. They're decent people. They're universities. They're people who love equality. They're nice guys. They're not Joe McCarthy. And therefore, they're so much more difficult to win cases against when they try to sense. I'll give you an example. So. Yeah, please. Uh, there's a great debate about vaccination, constitutionality of compelled vaccination. So 
Bobby Kennedy, the son of the former attorney general, calls me and says, let's debate this issue because, you know, I'm a pro-vaccination guy and he's a skeptic on vaccination. So we had this right. debate. It was a wonderful hour-long debate. People learned. People changed their mind. It wasn't the Lincoln Douglas debate, but it was a great debate about a current issue. Of course, YouTube took it down. They said, we don't want to hear yeah. Kennedy's views. Uh, we'll hear Dershowitz's views because they're pro-vaccine, but we don't want to hear Kennedy's views. and We don't want our viewers to be persuaded by Kennedy. And uh, that's what's going on today. Or you take what's going well, on and so- today in, yeah, in, in, in yeah. Simon & Schuster. They don't want to publish a right. book by Vice President Trump because 300 of their employees will complain if they publish a book presenting a view different from those of their employees. Right. So and so in this case, we're talking with Alan Dershowitz, uh, the uh, the lawyer and the book is called The Case Against New Censorship. Uh, it's out. It's out everywhere. You get books and, and you can track it down. And the uh, and the uh, but I, I want to ask you about th- this part of this. Um, there was always big businesses. I mean, New York Times was big. Uh, you know, there was plenty of big businesses, but they sort of held the value within their system of free speech. And and you just gave an example of, of uh, Facebook or YouTube. I forget which took down your video but that's just what you saw well that's just what you saw a lot of what they do you can't see because it's it's kind of hidden in the algorithms or everything else so i mean can you imagine litigation that would allow you to peek underneath the hood that's the question well it's so interesting because i'm doing exactly that now for mike lindell you know mike is being silenced i don't agree with a lot of what he says about the election but i certainly agree with his right to express his views about the election and my position is, uh, with Dominion, hey, you want to bring a lawsuit? Fine. Lift up the hood and let us see the engine. But you can't bring right. a lawsuit on the one hand, and on the other hand say, no, it's secret. We're not going to let you look at our machines. We think our machines are honest. We're the government, essentially. Trust us. No, that's not the American way. We don't trust the government. We don't trust giant corporations. We want to see the evidence. We're all from Missouri. You know, show me the evidence. (laughs) Show me the beef. Uh I want to see it. And the First Amendment is all about that. And you'd hope that a court wouldn't allow Dominion to sue to suppress the speech of Mike Lindell and at the same time deny him the right to have his experts determine whether or not the machines worked accurately during the election. All right. So now, but how, how is how have we come to the point where the way you can try to get to the bottom of the First Amendment is is that the government's not even clearly on your side? In other words, that lawsuit you just described, Mike Lindell is, is saying and trying to assert this. Shouldn't the government or somebody be in on your side again? And when you look at the title of your book, uh, what's so interesting about it is the case against the new censorship. The subtitle is protecting free speech from big tech, from progressives and universities. I mean, the ACLU should be in this case, on Mike Lindell's side, shouldn't they? I mean, have we lost all possibility? If it wasn't Mike Lindell, if it was somebody who had, let's assume, you know, I always apply to myself and to my critics, the shoe on the other foot test. Let's assume that Biden lost the election. Let's assume that Biden claimed that the count was not right. The ACLU would be there in a minute. In a New York minute, they would be there defending the right of Biden or any of his people to protest the election. But the ACLU takes sides now essentially based on political and ideological considerations, not uh, First Amendment considerations. We'll take the case that's going on now in Brooklyn Center, where the head of Brooklyn Center, Uh the place where that 
tragedy occurred where a, a woman with 27 years of experience, uh, Tim Potter, accidentally fired a gun instead of a taser, yelling taser, taser, taser. And the head right. of the town said, well, at least you ought to get due process. And people threatened, if you don't fire him, we're going to burn the town down. And they fired him for demanding due process. I mean, my God, you get fired now for invoking the Constitution? I mean, I imagine that happening in China, in the former Soviet Union, in Iran, in Cuba. But in the United States of America, in Minnesota, the home of Hubert Humphrey, and, uh, you know, such great liberal defenders of free speech. Now we have Keith Ellison. Uh, it's really been a long road from Hubert Humphrey to Keith. Well, I, and so, so, all right. So, uh, I, I, we're talking with Alan Dershowitz again. The the book is uh, the book that he is just out of about a few days ago. The case against the new censorship. But uh, Alan, could you imagine a new ACLU or or some kind of uh, entity that is kind of uh, identifying who's stomping on the First Amendment, almost like a almost like a yeah. Southern Poverty Law Center, although, but but you know, it's just saying, hey, look, there's because as you know this is happening if you're not Mike Lindell you don't you're not and I mean this is a total compliment he's fearless and crazy enough and rich enough that he'll just do it but most normal people well, he, he put was, their head down he was on Jimmy Kimmel he was on Jimmy Kimmel last night yeah, yeah, he was trying yeah, to laugh at yeah, him. He, yeah, held, he did very well he held his I agree, I agree. He made his position and you're right you need Mike Lindell's in the world to make uh, these kinds of arguments and I'm very very worried that we need a new ACLU. If I were 25 years younger, I think I would try to start a new called the, the Real Civil Liberties Union or Neutral Civil Liberties Union. There is an organization right. called FIRE, which deals with yes. speech on university campuses, but only on university campuses. But yeah. today, yeah. when a yeah. guy gets fired for calling for due process and he can't count on the ACLU to support him, there's something very wrong. All right, I just got a couple minutes left. Again, we're talking with uh, the great Alan Dershowitz, uh, one of America's premier lawyers. The Case Against the New Censorship is the book. Um, now, uh, uh, you know, there was a famous essay. I shouldn't do this to a guy as well-read as you are, but Volokh Havel wrote in, in the 70s, The Power of the Powerless. And in it, he, he describes a store owner and why the store owner put up the placard that said, uh, said you know, uh, uh, power to the people or under the workers of the world unite. And he goes through, Havel goes through how what happens is at a certain point, the pressure of the of of the of the regime in charge makes it so everybody kind of self regulates and self censorship. That's the word course, I use. He didn't of use. Course. Guess and, who and, Vaclav Havel's lawyer was? Well, guess who Vaclav Havel's lawyer was? Me. I represented Allender, him. Allender. I went to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I went to the former Czechoslovakia, which was under communist regime. I worked with him. See, I, I spoke for him <laughs> in Carnegie Hall. I have a program which my mother. Thrilled that I spoke in Carnegie Hall. You know, she would tell all of her friends, you had to get to Carnegie Hall, practice law, practice law, practice law. So I spoke to Dr. in in Carnegie Hall, and I I went to his funeral, and I went to watch him lie and state it was a tragedy. And he was one of the great men. I mean, he was a great liberal, but he defended free speech. He'd be appalled at what the left is doing today in America. 
Well, and, that, and that's what I was going to say. I, I, I'm not. I'm not one to say, "Oh my gosh, it's like we're under Soviet communism." That's insane to say that. On yeah, the other hand, no, that so. that human that human that human dynamic to self censor. And then here's what I'd say. Yeah. I think you'll agree. It, it only you only really have to self censor on sort of Trump to the right. You you don't have to self censor to the left, right? You're sort of allowed to go left, and well, people no, will I give you a free speech. I think okay. today there's self censorship not only. Uh, on the right, but at the center, where I am, I'm a liberal centrist. I'm not self-censoring, but a lot of my friends who are liberal centrists are self-censoring. They are terrified. Look what happened at American universities. How many centrist liberal professors are fired because they don't come up to the standards of the radical left, the intolerant radical mm-hmm. left? So. I think the censorship applies not only to conservatives, but also to centrist liberals as well if they don't buy into the radical ideology of the people on the extreme left. Well, I don't need to say this because it's like a life habit. And I will point out to you, Phyllis Schlafly, late Phyllis Schlafly, she had a habit like Alan Dershowitz. She, her whole life, she kept writing. And I know you write, Alan, as a, a part of your life. So, so so keep writing. And the case against the new censorship is out just a few days ago. Again, it's uh, available anywhere you buy books. And it's from Hope, excuse me, Hot Books. Hot Books is the publisher. Thanks for the time, Alan. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. Before we do, let me remind you of that great interview. I'll post it over at ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. You can review it there, and I'll email it out to all our folks, uh, our, our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and others. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up there. And, uh, again, the book which you want to check out is The Case Against the New Censorship, available anywhere you get books. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Feminists will stop at nothing to feed their perpetual victim complex. The late Phyllis Schlafly spent years trying to explain to them that women make less money than men on average because women more frequently prefer to work part-time or take more time off to care for their families. Feminists used to fight against this, but now they think they found a way to use Phyllis's own logic to feed their pity party. A feminist group called Mirza has rebranded this tendency of women to leave the paid workforce. They're calling it the motherhood penalty. What they call a penalty, I call a reality. I know of absolutely zero employers who take it upon themselves to punish women for having children. The first and last responsibility of employers is to make sure the business stays afloat so the employees can keep their jobs and feed their families. So when a woman who has been with the company for five years leaves the industry to take care of her children for 15 years, she shouldn't expect to return and be paid as though she were at the company for the full 20 years. This isn't a penalty on motherhood. This is a common-sense business practice. Although motherhood is truly the most valuable profession on the planet, an employee who's been in an industry for 20 years has more immediate economic value than an employee who was in the industry 15 years ago. The 20-year veteran is paid more because he has more experience, not because he's a man. This motherhood penalty nonsense is just the latest attempt by feminists to see oppressors behind every bush. If a woman wants to be paid like a man, she has that choice. 
However, most women choose instead to pursue the very noble endeavor of caring for their family full or part-time. Regardless of what choices women make, I applaud the fact that as Americans, they have the freedom to make them. However, it's important to remember that with freedom comes the responsibility to live with the consequences of the choices we make. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For more than 50 years, Phyllis led the fight against the dead-end road of radical feminism. Today, with the rise of so many savvy young conservative women, new voices are emerging. You're invited to voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And um, we have, I want to finish up today by talking about Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell, I think I did a segment the other day. I, th- I did a segment in defense of Joe Rogan the other day. And now I'm doing one in, de- in defense of Mike Lindell. But in this case, I want to do it in defense of some other aspect of him. Well, so let me set it up. I mean, he was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. And Jimmy Kimmel, who is, you know, acts like a jerk. That's his role, especially towards conservatives. Maybe he's a jerk. I don't know. I tell people, I, I try not to say that I know someone's, uh, being. I just, you know, whatever. He seems like a jerk, but I mean, he acts like a jerk. He acts like a really nasty to, to Mike Lindell. He kept saying over and over, you know, you're a crackhead. You were a crackhead, you know, paranoia. You're a crackhead. You know, I kind of wonder if he had Anthony Hopkins on, who won an Academy Award the other night, who has been in AA since the 1970s and is a very eloquent speaker about how he went into AA in his mid-40s and his life was a mess before and AA made a big difference. And when you hear Anthony Hopkins give talks on this, you say, wow. You know, and I have a feeling that almost anybody else who had an addiction who recovered from it would be treated better than what Jimmy Kimmel was doing, saying crackhead and paranoia and all this stuff. But here's the thing. Mike Lindell was a happy guy, a joyful guy. When the when the jokes were not appropriate, when he asked certain things that were goofy, he didn't he didn't kind of get defensive. One moment he got a, a very slight defensive. He could hear it, and then he swallowed it and went away. And he just stayed in the in the moment. They made fun of his business. They made fun of his decisions. And he kept saying, hey, guys, look, I, I was never particularly in, in one party or the other. I wasn't into politics. He said, I like Donald Trump, what he did. I thought he's a guy's a fighter and he'll do some good things. And he said, and so I got involved. And he said... What he has seen, the evidence he's seen of threats to the country, he said if it was a Democrat that had done that had been uh, the loser, he said he, I, I, he said, I firmly believe I'd still be doing this. Now, you, they'll all attack him. They all did. And they all laugh at him and all that. It was very impressive. He came across as just what he is, a guy who has had his flaws. He's had his recovery. He wrote a book on, he said the, the photo on the cover of the book, which he held up was him after he'd been like on a bender for weeks or something. And he's, but, but he also sounded like a guy. And I'll say this is going to be interesting to hear how people react. He sounded like a visionary. He sounded like a guy that knew how to um, look forward and sort of not dwell on the past. He didn't sound like a guy who was angry, bitter. He sounded like that. He said at one point, are you going to run for governor? And he said, I'm going to run for dog catcher right now. He said, I wouldn't trust the systems. He just, he sounded like an extraordinary thing. And here's what he really sounded like to me. 
He sounded like, and I've met him only once. I guess I met him twice. I met him in December for five minutes standing behind a stage. We were both getting ready to speak. And I met him uh, for six hours or eight hours in uh, in uh, um, in um, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, 10 days ago. So I, I, can, I know him a little bit. In person, he's very impressive and he's kind of quieter. Uh, but he's, you know, he's not, not quite so uh, outgoing in person, but still pretty outgoing. But he, um, he, here's what he really represents to me. The sort of classic American he didn't get a he didn't get a break from his uh, upbringing in a way you know he I'm not, I don't know what his upbringing but he didn't go to the big schools he didn't go to the big networks he didn't go to the big places where you go to get the advantages and he sort of had a downturn more than one he lost everything a couple times that's another thing Jimmy Kimmel said I, I just wonder you know are you going to be losing everything and and you know what it felt like Mike Lindell was like doesn't matter to me I've been there I've been to the bottom. When I saw Mike Lindell standing with General Mike Flynn, who had been through the bottom where everybody bailed on him, and, and you know, they had the weight of the world against him, or at least the weight of the federal government, and a lot of people, most people bailed on him, other than his family and some friends, and the American people didn't, but like all the big hitters bailed on him. If you've been to the bottom, and Mike Lindell has, you're not afraid of what's there, because you found yourself. And you found yourself, and in the case of Mike Lindell, faith in God and faith in uh, Christ, and same thing with Mike Flynn. And uh, but it was extraordinary. So if you get a chance, wow, put it up on social media. Watch the um, YouTube of Mike Lindell, and what you'll see, in contrast to the guy making fun of him, in contrast to the guy making fun of him, what you'll see is a guy, Mike Lindell, who seems well adjusted. He seems well adjusted. He seems like a pretty good guy. And Kimmel doesn't come across that way, but it was um, good for Mike Lindell, American hero, American original, American all through and through. All right. I got more to say on that. I'll say it another time. Well, we got to run, though. We got to run out of time. Thank you, as always, to our great uh, technical director, Noah, does everything, produces everything, keeps us on track. Joanna for helping us book guests. And uh, thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to stay up on all of it. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Thanks for listening. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.